BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hey guys, and welcome to another story-filled episode of Inquiries of Our Reality, number 92 to be exact. I'm your host Shane, as always, and thanks for tuning in. But before we get into this wonderful, wonderful interview I have for you guys today, if you guys don't mind uh, leaving a rating or review on Apple or Spotify, I would definitely appreciate it. It's a way for the uh, the show to get out into the uh, out into the world, for other people to be able to see, check it out, and it'll help the show to grow. And another good way that you can also help the show to grow is by sharing it with a friend, by word of mouth. That's definitely a huge, huge way to help the show grow. So if you know anybody that's into any of these weird topics that I happen to talk about, uh, just drop the name, Increase of All Reality. Like, hey man, you seem to be a very inquisitive person about this reality. I know a perfect show for you, Increase of All Reality. That's all you got to do, quick and simple. And uh, if you want to pop up and uh, have a cool conversation with me or get some updates on the show, the best way to do that is through social media. Uh, I'm the most active on Instagram. Uh, so if you want to come and follow on Instagram, that'd probably be your best way to get a hold of me. Uh, you can also come and uh, hang out in the Discord or the Telegram and have some interesting conversations with some interesting people sharing some interesting ideas. Uh, and of course, I'm popping in there and sharing my weird and interesting ideas with you guys too. So uh, yeah, definitely go and check that out. Um, if you haven't already checked out Bizarre Encounters, which is the other show that I do with Ghost uh, that pertains specifically to the paranormal, uh, aliens, cryptids, all that stuff specifically, uh, definitely go and check that out. Do yourself a favor. Um, I think you'll definitely enjoy that show if you enjoy this show, especially the shows that seem to pertain to those co- those topics. Um, but if you want to check out everything I do, um, I put everything under one umbrella. It's all Open Minds Media. Um, with that, that is this show, of course, Bizarre Encounters, uh, Big Dumb Inquiries, and Bite Size Bizarreties, which is my little uh, solo show. Um, I figured the easiest way, instead of saying, oh, I do four shows and possibly even five in the future, who knows, because who knows when I'll stop doing shows. I just figured it'd be easier to just tell people, go and check out Open Minds Media. So if you're doing that already, um, you can go and check out the Patreon. Just like I was saying, I put everything under one umbrella, so rather than you getting one show 
for Patreon, you get four shows. Uh, put it all under as Open Minds Media Patreon. Uh, that's where you will get early access to this show. Um, you'll also get access to live episodes of the show. Um, there's some extra bonus stuff on there. Uh, there's some giveaways, a bunch of really cool stuff. So uh, definitely go and check out the new Patreon tiers that I've added relatively recently. There's a $3, a $5, a $10, and a $20 tier. So whatever happens to spark your interest, you know, come and, uh, come and check it out. And uh, if you want to support the show in a different way, uh, you can always donate through Ko-fi or Anchor. Um, Anchor is the RSS host for for the show. So the best way to go and do that is to go all the way down to the bottom of the show description and there will be a little thing that says support on Anchor. Click that and you can uh, support the show in any way that you see you see fit. And no matter what way you see fit, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, another way that you can donate is through Venmo or Cash App or PayPal. I do have all of those set up. Uh, quick and easy for that. If you want to donate a couple bucks for me to get some kombucha or something to drink on the show, definitely would appreciate it and uh, get rid of the cotton mouth that I frequently tend to have on the show from talking a little bit too much. But hey, that's where you guys are here to hear me talk <laughs> a little bit too much sometimes. But hey, hopefully you guys enjoy it. And uh, if you want to get yourself some awesome merch, uh, I do also have the Open Minds Media Store set up. There you will find merch for all of the shows that I do and Open Minds Media if you're interested in getting yourself some uh, Open Minds Media merch. Uh, that way you can kind of incorporate everything I do all into one. I spend a lot of time on the logo. I think it's pretty sweet. I wear it. So up to you guys. If you guys think it's cool, go and check it out. And uh, while you're checking that out, definitely go and check out my boy Joe over at Crypto Theology. He's got some really, really awesome designs all pertaining to cryptids, um, bunch of parodies of different cryptid things. Uh, I've talked about him on the show. I'm sure you guys are, are probably annoyed with me talking about him so much, and I'm always posting his shirts, but if you haven't already checked it out, definitely go check out Crypto Theology. And uh, if you just want a rough idea of some of the designs that he does, you can definitely also go on my social media and see all of the awesome designs that I post from him. Uh, one of those designs, hopefully, that I will be getting myself soon is the Bizarre Encounters design. Um where it's called Bizarre Combat, and it's essentially a parody of Mortal Kombat with uh, Ghost and I as Mortal Kombat characters and all of the other playable characters as cryptids. Uh, definitely a cool design. Uh, Joe's awesome for putting it together, and we definitely appreciate it over on uh, Bizarre Encounters. Um, so, you know, give it some love, man. Go and, uh, go and check out the design at least. And, uh, you know, if you're a Mortal Kombat fan, I definitely think you'll appreciate it. But uh, everything that I've mentioned, I try to make it quick and easy, all available under one link tree. Um, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Increase of Our Reality Podcast. And uh, if you'd like to check out all of the umbrella of all of the things that I do, uh, you can check out the Open Minds Media link tree. And that one is uh, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash open underscore minds underscore media. And with that, welcome to the show, George Lundford. How's it going today, man? Going good. How about yourself? Not too bad. Glad uh, we finally made this work. We had a little bit of a delay today due to the weather, but hey, we're here, we're doing it, and we're about to have an awesome show. So, Oh, yeah. So I guess uh, for anybody that isn't familiar with your work, why don't you kind of give them a rough idea about uh, who you are and what you do? Well, I'm just basically an old, fat, bald man who <laughs> wants to tell stories that everybody should hear. I mean, I did, the book is called Legends, Myths, Monsters, and Ghosts, the USA edition. And what I've done is I've gathered stories from every state so that make sure everybody has something to hear about their state. There's seven A stories per state. Also included five of the Indian tribes, which those are awesome. They're, they're actually better than the regular ones are. But um, 
there's just really cool stories. It's got everything from ghosts to cryptid creatures to UFOs to crazy people to serial killers. You name it, it's in there. So uh, what kind of inspired you to uh, start collecting these stories and writing everything out? Well, see, when I was young, the, the older people would tell us the stories. They'd just You'd be sitting around on a Saturday night, and they'd start just telling stories about the area. And, of course, being the adventurous children we were, we decided to go out and check them out. And I think everybody needs to do that. I think it'd be fun for everybody to do. Especially now that you get all the toys you can play with. You can do the, the ghost boxes and you can do all that fun stuff and really get them going. So uh, what was some of the first places that you went and checked out and how how they ended up going for you, of course? Well, <laughs> one of the ones we went to is in my book. And I told the story as it was told to me. It's called Helen's Bridge. And uh, the quick version of the story is that a woman named Helen, she was a... Uh, single mom the her husband being killed in the war in the 1800s and uh she was outside hanging clothes and there was food on the on the stove her daughter was upstairs playing well the stuff on the stove basically went everywhere and the house caught on fire and she turned around and she worked for a mansion and uh it was across the bridge was the mansion that she worked at well, they all come running down, and they all was trying to get the, the kid out of the house and put the fire out, and the fire department showed up. And she could see her daughter in the second-story window. The last thing she seen was her hand in the window. And it just slid down and disappeared into the, uh, the, the, the smoke. Like something straight out of a scary movie. <laughs> and uh, so she was extremely distraught. She was tore all to pieces. And uh, they went in. They found her daughter was dead. So they got her back up to the main house that night and they tried to calm her down. Everybody finally got her calmed down, they thought. And uh, everybody went to bed. Well, she was still pretty messed up. So she got up and she wandered back down. She seen the house and she just, she was just overcome big time with this. She was just grieving and couldn't stop. So she, she tripped over something. She looked down and it was a rope. So she walked over to the bridge. She tied the rope on, had her in her neck and jumped off. The next day they got up and they found out that she wasn't there and they started looking for her and they found her hanging on the side of the bridge. Is this uh like like a proven story or is it like a fo- local folklore story? Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> some people say that it's true. Some people say that it ain't. I don't know. I know there's people here that knew her, that knew Helen. So I don't know if it really happened or not. I know when you go up there, some it used to be real bad, but there's things happen. Car won't start. There's orbs. I've seen the full body apparition. I've been chased by a fireball. <laughs> I mean, there's there's some interesting stuff happens up there. Was this at the uh, the bridge or the house itself? This was below the bridge, where everything happens. You can't really get on top of the bridge. It's in such bad shape now. Nobody goes up on top because there's nothing left. But uh, everything below the bridge, when you look up, you'll see a picture in the book. My wife took a beautiful picture. And you can just feel it when you look at the bridge, the picture of the bridge. What, uh, what city was this? 
Asheville, North Carolina. Asheville, North Carolina. So I'm assuming that that's your hometown. So I definitely love to hear some more of your uh, your hometown stories because that seems to always be where the biggest heart is, of course, that I feel like uh, you know, you'll have the most emotional tie to the stories. And of course, if you've checked out any of the locations, uh, be it a cryptid sighting or UFO sighting or paranormal sighting, I definitely love to hear about it. Well, well I've been to another one that's in my book called Brown Mountain Lights. I've been there. I've seen the lights on the mountain. I've tried to catch the lights on the mountain and couldn't. And we've watched them for hours moving around the mountain from the lookout. So you said there's a lookout here and on one side of them, across a, a gorge. Then you have the mountain. And you can watch the lights. They'll pop up. And they'll move. But if you're on the ground where the lights are, you can't see the lights. At least I couldn't. And then I had a haunted high school which was built on top of a graveyard that was supposedly moved. Was it the Native American <laughs> graveyard? <laughs> For the poor and the indigent people. <laughs> They're not happy. <laughs> mm. <laughs> They're not happy. They like to mess with you. But uh, that, I uh, had a visit from my dead grandmother. I've had a uh, ghost in my house. I had ghosts that would that would watch my children, watch over my children. And I lived in one place. Was it uh, ones that had to do with the house itself, or do you think it was uh, like family members possibly? It was the people who lived on the property where the house was put to house. Uh, the fam- I, I did some research and found that a family had died there with tuberculosis back in the early 1800s. And there was a mother, a father, a daughter, older daughter, like 17, 18 years old, and then a young boy about 10, 12 years old. They all died of tuberculosis. Well, the daughter was the one who had watched out over my kids. It was really cool because I walked in. My daughter was crying when I walked in. I got up to walk in, check on her. I walked into the bedroom, and you could hear this real low. And you could see the blanket moving up and down like somebody's patting it. It's almost it's always fascinating when you uh, have experiences with ghosts that aren't necessarily like scary ghosts. Like if you came in, of course, and you saw that and, uh, you know, you, some people may have a heart attack, of course, but uh, the majority of people, of course, especially if it's calming the baby, like that's definitely like a weird experience. You don't hear about that too, too often. She was a good one. I liked her. We called her Bertha. She was good. Uh, what was bad? One of the funny things that she did. Me and my, my wife got divorced. We separated. I was in the house and I had a girl over who was staying with us for staying with me for a little while. Well, apparently Bertha didn't like her because she calls me at work and she is frantic. She's screaming into the phone. You could hear her bouncing off the walls. I had thrown about 10, 12 pennies on the table before I left. Just, it was in my pocket. So I didn't want it to be in my pocket. So I put it on the table. Well, Bertha was moving the pennies across the table, dropping them from the table onto the ground on their side. Then they would roll out, stop, turn 90 degrees, roll over, and fall over heads up. <laughs> That's some of that weird stuff that there's no explanation for. That, uh, <laughs> you know, the rational mind, of course, will try to come up with some kind of weird explanation as to why that happened. But realistically, there's no way to explain that other than there's some kind of controlling factor, of course. And everyone, it was a perfect, she made a perfect circle. It was beautiful. She did a really good job. But the girl didn't last long after that. She kind of left. 
you know, I've had some interesting things happen. So, you know. Said, of course, that's what has to spark all the fascination with all of the, uh, the interesting, of course. Um, so oh, yeah. I, I've always been a huge, uh, huge fan of cryptids, I guess you could say in general. Um, where you're from in particular, do you have any, uh, like super popular cryptid lore, um, or any that just in general that you, uh, really enjoy following that may be somewhat of like a hometown hero? Well, honestly, we've been having more Bigfoot reports, which is surprising because we're there for a long time. No one ever said anything, but we've had a bunch of them here lately out towards Frank, a place called Franklin, North Carolina. It's on the other side of the Nanahala Gorge. And uh, there's been all kinds of sightings out that way. Do you know what kind of sightings exactly? Are they like uh, visual sightings or vocal sightings or anything? Visual, uh, crossing the road, crossing the interstate. <laughs> because it's uh, four lanes and it runs all the way across. On two legs, come off the side of the mountain, cross the interstate on two legs, and stopped and then jumped over the side and went down the mountain. Are they um is are is it still ongoing or was it kind of just like a like a spot where it just kind of happened frequently for a minute and then it stopped? Well, that happened, and then we had more encounters down by the high school. There was some encounter. There was some people seen uh, down behind the football field in the woods. They've been, I mean, this spot sporadic, but there there's been sightings all over that area, all the way over to the parkway and uh, all that over here. Have you ever uh, had any sightings yourself? No, but I'm dying to have one. <laughs> I will. I will see Big Bigfoot before it's over with. <clears throat> I'm assuming that you probably collected a lot of fascinating stories, of course, about it. Um, I don't know. Maybe not necessarily pertaining to your area, but uh, just out of your collection of stories, like what what are some of the ones that you find to be the most fascinating pertaining to Sasquatch? Oh, I get. You know, one of the funny ones that I really got a kick out of was Momo. Over in Missouri. I mean, the Bigfoot, they hear it. This man and this woman are cheating on their spouses. They're sitting in this little parking area making out, and they hear it. So they're, they're looking, and Bigfoot rises out of the water, stands all the way up, walks across in front of them into the woods. <laughs> I mean, how do you explain that to the police? Well, I was cheating on my wife with this woman, and we seen Bigfoot. <laughs> he just took off out of the water, stared at me very disappointed, and went off into the woods. <laughs> I said what they could see was the outline of him and his eyes. I said the eyes were almost honingly uh, yellow. As he and he walked right in front of the vehicle, so I could see a perfect silhouette of him. That's another one of those undeniable ones too, because uh, especially if you're that close to it, you would know if it was a bear for sure. But it's it's hard to mix up the shape of a bear and a sasquatch, considering one's more human-like, one's way bigger, one's less fat. <laughs> but that's just well, always, of course, people just trying to rationalize it. Oh yeah, and and the funny thing was, they went to the cops. I mean, you don't go to the cops if you're cheating on your wife unless it's something that scares the daylights out of you. So, they've been some good ones. I, I, we had one up here that was an interesting sighting back in the 70s. The, the guy that reported the sighting said he's seen Bigfoot coming. It ran beside his house, between his house and the building. He was within 10 feet of it. 
and it jumped over the fence and back up the side of the mountain. <laughs> so, um, of course, like you're definitely fascinated with uh, extraterrestrials, uh, paranormal, and cryptids. But uh, of course, everybody has their personal favorite. Where where, where does your personal favorite kind of lie at that you seem to uh, find the most fascinating? Of course, I gotta tell you, in my book, it's one of my favorite stories in the entire book. It's called Robert the Doll. Ooh, Robert. <laughs> and I, I'm sure you know about Robert. And he is actually on display in Key West. If anybody doubts it, they're welcome to go there and take a look at him. <laughs> you know what's funny, too, is uh, I recently did a show about uh, Robert not too, too long ago. It was back in uh, October. And uh, I thought it was kind of funny. Apparently, they have a social media account set up now for Robert so that people can like watch him on like a live stream and all that kind of stuff now. And uh, I don't know if the intention is supposed to be that, you know, when people take pictures of him without asking and then they end up having to uh, like ask for forgiveness for taking the picture. Um, I don't know if the intention is that people can email him, but just in my opinion, I don't know about you, but when it comes to things like that in that paranormal realm, I feel like it wouldn't have the same effect as if it was like a handwritten personal letter going to him. So it's just, you know, trying to bring in the lore to the tech age and you can tell it's a hundred percent just for the, um, the entertainment aspect of it, but it's still fascinating oh, yeah. all the same though. I don't think I'm going to take the chance. I really don't. <laughs> I mean, those, anything possessed I got to worry about. See, I get worried, especially with those museums too, that it's like, how seriously do the people that run the museum take it? Are they, 100% people that fully believe in this stuff. Um, and even if they are, it doesn't mean that every single employee is. So if you're trying right. to like protect a cursed item, um, I don't know. I feel like there's something that should be done every single time that case gets open. And I'm always get worried about somebody not doing everything correctly, exactly to the T every time they open that case. And then you never know what you might <laughs> end up taking home with you. <laughs> you ain't kidding. I don't think I'd want to take that chance. No, 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 no. <laughs> They just need to make a protective barrier around the building daily. <laughs> I, will, I will go see Robert the doll, though. I want to see him up close and personal with his permission. <laughs> so I think the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think you just have to ask permission just to take his picture. But you can definitely stare at him all you want. Staring's free. Well, besides, of course, the museum cost. <laughs> We're, I think I'm on, next, time we go to, next time I go to Key West, I'm going to go check him out. Um, I know that uh, there used he used to be up in there. There was the house that he was originally, I guess, associated with because there was the guy that owned him that lived up in like the higher uh, story of the house. And it wasn't yeah. until relatively, I want to say it was like the last like wasn't like ten fifteen years ago that they actually moved him out of that house and into this museum. But before that, they had him straight up propped in the in the higher up window of that house. And I don't know, I feel like it would have been way creepier that way, especially if you went and came by at night and he, like, wasn't sitting in the chair or if he was, like, moved a little bit. <laughs> well, now, they said that when they walked by, you could see him, but if you moved your eyes and looked back, he wouldn't be there again. Say, there's something so much creepier, too, about the uh, the cork face that it's, like, no matter where you're standing, you feel like it's it's staring at you because it doesn't have the defined eyes, you know? <laughs> Oh, Lord. I, I, I want to seem bad. I mean, I, the people that bought the house did did donate him to the museum, and they donated some of the artwork that Gene had run, hey, Gene had done. You know, he was a famous uh, artist. Have you uh, have you ever been to that museum? Is it just Robert the Doll, or is it like uh, 
about the town. It's all like it's all Key West history and memorabilia and all that. From what I understand, I haven't got to go yet. So that would definitely be a really cool place to go. I've always been really paranoid about going to Key West just because of the way it demographically looks with it being like a long strip of islands going into the ocean. Like, where do you go? <laughs> well, I got lucky. I got to go when I was in the military. So, you know, it was a little different than I thought about it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> At least you got enough stuff that you could probably protect yourself if there was any type of any disaster that came that way. If you're in the military oh, yeah. and there's some kind of hurricane, they're probably trying to get you out of there before anybody else. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's for sure. So uh, I guess, you know, with all of your collection of your stories, um, since it kind of came up in conversation, uh, where are some of the places that you've actually gotten to, uh, like, physically go and, uh, like, collect stories from, I guess? Um, Because, you know, some people, they kind of collect around their hometown and they kind of collect through the Internet. But have you actually had the opportunity to, like, physically go and collect stories anywhere? Um, Some of them. I've, I've been to South Carolina and got stories there. Uh, the Cherokee stories I got firsthand because I work in Cherokee every month. Plus, my wife has Cherokee. Uh, the uh, New Orleans, I mean, uh, Louisiana, some of those I got from my wife and her family and some of those. And plus, we've been, we've been there several times. Honey Island Swamp, I've been down to the swamp, but not to go into the swamp yet. See, I'd love to uh, get into some of the Native American stories that you referenced, because specifically, I'm also Cherokee, so I always find the Cherokee uh, stories fascinating. And uh, I don't know if you have necessarily, like, the, the, like, monster folklore or just, like, the, I guess you could say, folklore stories that have to do with animals, but I find it all fascinating. So any stories that you have on Native American anything, especially Cherokee, I'd definitely love to hear them. Well, the Cherokee, I have the Sukulu, I have Spearfinger, the Little People, uh, the Raven Mocker, and one more. I think I have one more of them. I'm not sure. <laughs> Let me look here real quick. I'll tell you. Yeah, my wife made sure that I had the Cherokee stuff in there. Okay, let's see here. Oh, I didn't put it in here. I didn't put the, I didn't put in the index. <laughs> I, think, I think that's all of them. I'm not sure. I think the one that the one that's really cool about the Cherokee, and I got this directly from some of the uh, 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 elders, is the little people. You know, most people, most of them won't talk about the little people because they think that they'll they'll get them. And I was talking to some of the elders, and we were going back and forth talking about the little people, and I talked to them about Spearfinger and the Sukaloo and all that. But when they did some, uh, I was being, I was told that when they did some uh, excavation of our to build a new building, they found tunnels and little bones of the little people. Is this uh, Puckwudgies, or is this a totally different name and a totally different uh, little people? I, that, that is called the little people. The Puckwudgies is over toward uh, Hawaii. If I remember uh, Hawaii. And uh, yeah, they're just the little people, and there's different different types of little people. You got the ones that are helpful, you got the ones that are mean, you got the ones that are mischievous, uh, and they all they all can just switch back and forth whatever they want they're in the mood for at the time. <laughs> what do they uh, so, seem to be as far as like Cherokee lore more often than not? No, through the research, something I found out that they're actually. 
maybe different names, but they're everywhere. They really are. I mean, Irish calling leprechauns. The you know you got the puck the puck wedgie. I never can say his name, but I apologize. You've got uh, I can't remember what some of those names are. They call them gremlins. They call them just different things, but they're all they all have the same description to them. So I I don't know uh, the Cherokee. They seem to hold them in pretty high regard. And they don't like to talk about them very much. They, they'll, they'll talk about Suklu. They'll tell you the history of Suklu. They'll tell you, you have to kind of pull it out of them about Ravenmarker. Because Ravenmarker is like a harbinger of death. You've got Spearfinger, and she just, she just plain out and out evil. <laughs> I mean, you know, she eats kids' livers. So, I mean, <laughs> she's not a nice person, okay? And then they talk about elementals with the you know the the rock skin and all kinds of stuff there's really some really great stories in the uh in the uh indian tribe now, i call them indians not native american because every elder that i talk to they refer to themselves as indians and i won't disrespect what they told me so so that's always been a super mixed bag where i'm not exactly sure what to refer to it as because i don't know which one's like a preferred term, I guess, because it all kind of ranges and depends on the person, of course. Um, but I guess kind of going back into the the little people concept that I've always found uh, extremely fascinating, of course, it seems to be one of those uh, those kind of big cover-ups almost, kind of like the Giants, um, that the Smithsonian, every single time somebody finds little bones or giant bones, they seem to be on top of that ASAP. And uh, d- as far as like you know, going into uh, Cherokee lore, did they see the little people as um, like a lost tribe, almost like they kind of did the uh, the giants? Uh, they seem to see them as almost like a. I don't really know how to describe it. They they held them in really high regard, and re- lots of lots of respect and fear at the same time. And it's, I don't know how they would how you would actually describe that. To be honest with you. But you can tell the difference because their whole attitude when you start talking about this stuff with them, like I've talked to one guy, he was telling me about his great, great, great grandfather was a wizard and they had a mag they had a magic stone upon a place called Rattlestake Mountain. And he went through this whole story about his grandfather, which was a really cool story, but I really didn't fit was what was in the book. I didn't use it. But uh each one of them, each one you talk to, depending on who you talk to, they'll hold it in certain reverence, and other ones won't even speak about it. I had one guy; he would he walked away mad because he wouldn't he wouldn't speak about it at all. Do you know uh, any of the stories, like the you know the folklore stories that are pertaining to them offhand by chance? Just like any like random little interactions or stories. Uh, well, there's a story about the Sukalu who. He fell in love with an Indian maid, maiden, and her mother kept coming up with different tasks that the Sukalu had to pass before he could uh, see her daughter or go out with her daughter. And uh, it's in the book, and there's a whole different bunch of different tasks that he does. Like he brings wood and chops it all up, and but he's in the form of a person when he does it, but then he switches back. Once she closes the door, he switches back to his Bigfoot form 
and he's pulling trees up out of the ground and everything else. <laughs> this, there's this really cool stories. I, I tell you one, one group of Indians that I wrote about that was really amazing to me. And they used more um, symbolism than anything else. And that was the Hopi. The Hopi had long stories and they used lots and lots of symbolism. And they, they actually pulled you into the story more than what the other in, other Indian tribes did. But the other Indian tribes had such cool stories that you just enjoy reading them. I mean, they're just a lot of fun to read. Oh, yeah, definitely. I say I was digging into uh, Spearfinger not too long ago, and I found that one definitely fascinating. Um, I say I have, like, a basic idea of the, uh, I guess you could say the storyline for Spearfingers, but uh, if you'd like to share the the full story with the listeners, I'm sure they definitely would appreciate it if they haven't heard the story. I can remember most of it, so I'll give you the 30,000-foot version. How's that sound? <laughs> if I remember any pieces in between, we can mash it together. We can make one uh, mashup story together. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, I, there, was a, there was a story that uh, five of the little Indian uh, children, along with one of them, one of those was the daughter of the chief. They're out in the woods, and they were searching around and playing and having a good time. Well, they got lost. And they started getting scared and they started getting nervous. And out of nowhere, this older woman appears and starts calming down the kids. And they all, they all start far. She says, I'll, I'll, I'll take you back to my hut. Then we'll go get your, you know, your family and we'll, uh, get you taken care of, get you rescued. Well, all the kids were like, yay. And they all got real close to her. Except for the chief's daughter, she she didn't feel like there was something quite right over this. So they're walking back up through the woods to the trail, going up to her her hut. They see the hut and they're getting ready to walk into the hut. Well, the little girl notices that one finger is longer than the other and it's really sharp on the end. So she hollers spear finger, and when she does, the kids all try to separate, but she gathers them all up. And she misses the chief's daughter. And she takes off. She's running, and Spirit Finger turns into her regular form, which is an elemental. She has uh, granite skin, like rock. And she pulls the kids and gets them all in there, except for the one little girl. The little girl, she's running down a mountain, and she falls, and she trips, and she rolls down a hill, and she lands into a creek. And she looks up, and there's one of the braves. So she runs over to him, and she tells him what's happening. Well, the brave grabs her up, they take off, get back to the village, and they tell the chief what's going on. And uh, the chief decides he's got to do something. He can't let Spearfinger have the children. So he goes to the medicine man. He talks to the medicine man and says, I want something that will pierce her skin. i got to stop her. i got to kill her. Medicine man looks, and he works, and he makes some stuff up. And he takes all the braves and brings them in, and he dips all their arrowheads and spearheads into this this potion that he created. Well, they all go back as a hunting party. The little girl leads them back up, and Spearfinger hears them coming. So she takes off. She takes off running because she hears this large band of of uh, warriors coming after. So she's taking off, and she's jumping from valley to valley trying to get away from them. And she runs into one of the other elementals stone man she says i need your help i need your help he says no you are you have you deserve this 
and you must pay the price for your deeds. So he just walks away from her. Well, in the meantime, as the half the warriors are chasing Spearfinger, another half comes around the other side and they dug a pit. And they run Spearfinger over and she fell into the pit and they started shooting her with arrows. And she, you see sparks fly because you're hitting flint against granite, so it's sparking. And next thing you know, they look in there and she's dead. The arrow stuck in her. They actually penetrated her skin, and she's dead. Well, they're all celebrating. They're all excited and real happy. And they, they take the little girl and they go back down. They go back to the hut. They save all the kids. They go back down to the village. But the chief just doesn't feel right. Something's not right. He thinks. So he sends two of the braves back up to check and make sure Spearfinger's dead. The braves go back up and look into the pit. She's gone. And they can hear her laughing as she goes over the mountaintop. Say, the story that I heard was completely different than that one. Maybe it's the continuation oh, wow. of that story. Because the story that I heard was like how they supposedly killed, killed for good uh, Spearfinger. Which uh, I don't know exactly how. Maybe it's kind of like a mix of, of that story in with another one that I heard. But essentially, it was that they got her trapped into a pit. And once she was in the pit, there was a bird that came and was telling them to hit her in the heart. So they went to stab her in the heart and they assumed, you know, the heart would be in like the normal place that uh, like a normal human's heart would be. And it doesn't end up working. So they get mad. They kill the bird. And then a second bird comes and says something along the lines of that uh, her heart's in her hand. And it's the closed hand with the spear, with the spear finger. And then they uh, end up. Uh, smashing that hand or stabbing the hand, shooting the hand, whatever the, however the story goes, and then they end up killing her for good. But I don't know if it's like one of those things that it's just different tribes probably have different variations of the same story, and it's almost like a telephone thing, or if it is part of the same story. You know, it might be two separate stories. I wonder if it's two separate stories because most of what I found with the uh, Indian tribes were that they stayed loyal to the, the, the story from the beginning to the end. Say so if you heard... 30,000 years ago, somebody told the story, and now they're still telling the exact same stories, what they were told before. So it may be a continuation of it. I haven't heard that one. That's pretty cool, though. Say, if I can find uh, where I found that one at, because it was in a book that I had. I believe it's called uh, Something of the Wind, and it has like a bunch of Native American stories in it. If I can find it, I'll send it to you. That's cool, because in the story that I, was, that I had in the book, they actually had sightings of her over by Fontana Lake, where she crossed over the Nantahala Gorge into uh, Fontana into Tennessee. I'm sure if it's one of those things that if you track the stories, like I wonder if you can find like a trail of like where she supposedly traveled to. Because like depending on how like woo-woo you get, um, if you really break down what she is, I mean, she could be elemental or partly like a witch. Um, and then there's yeah. enough, you know, witch lore, native or, you know, elemental lore that if you believe in any of that kind of stuff, like, I don't know, especially when it comes to like Native American tradition, it seems like there's a lot of stories that they'll tell just for the sake of trying to, you know, get a message across. But if yeah, there's a, cool. a continuation of stories about her and it's not just pertaining to, uh, you know, a weird woman in the woods, um, that's when I kind of clicks in my head. Maybe there's a little bit more to the story than what people are assuming there is. <laughs> I think so. I, I, she's, she's a cool story. She, uh, that, that, from what I understand, from what I read when I was doing the, all the studies and stuff, and from the people I talked to, now, I don't know if she was ever real or not, but 
they're talking about there's still sightings of her. Do you know where they uh the last you know sighting may have been of her? Because I'm definitely curious uh, if anybody's ever tried to really like track her down in recent years, or if it's just uh like Native American um, reservations possibly seeing her. Well, I read of two different stories where she was spotted on a one of the off the trails between Nanahala and uh, Fontana Lake. So I'll have to look into that one. Um, I wonder if there's any photographic evidence because, um, I, I mean, it's always hard on the Internet because everybody can do whatever they want with it. But uh, that would definitely be an interesting one to see, though. I, I, I would love to do an entire book just to spare finger. <laughs> and then because there's so much more there to it than what I had in my story. I, I only give the basic story in the book because, like I said, there's there's bunches of different ones. There was a there was another one that you mentioned. It was one that I don't think I've actually heard it before. You said it was the the Harbinger of Doom. Oh, the Raven Marker. Raven Marker is said to come if there's someone in the house that is sick and dying. The Raven Marker shows up. Is there like a like a physical appearance for this? Because it almost kind of reminds me of like just especially with that terminology that you use, almost like the Mothman type of like legend or concept. Or the mo- oh, don't get started about the Mothman. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, of course, links into a lot of Native American lore, too, of course. <laughs> it also links into uh, the Chernobyl accident. Oh, you're talking about the Blackbird. Blackbird of Chernobyl was the exact description of the Mothman. So uh, I guess from you collecting your stories, everybody kind of has their different idea, but uh, like, what do you think it is? Do you think it's like a, like a cryptid? Do you think it's uh, almost like something more like supernatural? And I've also, of course, heard people entertain the idea of this is kind of where I, po- I sit a little bit, but if there's a traumatic event that happens, it almost creates like a ripple in the veil. And then maybe stuff that's on the other side of the veil can temporarily come through. And that's kind of what you see an image of, but like I said, everybody has different ideas, and I'm definitely curious on what yours may be. I like what you're saying, and I, I agree. I think it is something from a different dimension. But I think it is actually here to warn you, look, something bad's about to happen in this spot. <laughs> I'm warning you now. Be careful. Because, you know, every time it's been seen, there has been something bad happen in the area where it was seen at. You had the bridge up in West Virginia. You've had uh, train accidents. There was a report of it right before seeing it above the train before the train crashed. There was a Chernobyl and just a few other smaller accidents that had happened that it was actually spotted at. For the uh, the one for Chernobyl, was it only spotted specifically before Chernobyl, like a one one off one site thing? Do you know of? No. Uh, there's multiple reports of it days before the accident. Do you know uh, any of the, like the, the backstories on like where it was seen, like what it was seen doing anything like that? Uh, I remember one where it was saw where they saw it flying a circle around the reactor, the smoke thing, the, you know, the big smoke steam, big reactor. Yeah. It seems it's circling that. So it circled it three times. They counted it, and then it disappeared. But then it was seen for two more days, and then the last time it was seen was the night before the actual meltdown. When uh, 
also when it comes to the one that's in uh, Native American lore that you were referencing, um, was there stories that you know of before like a traumatic event that people refer to it as um, so that it would kind of have the same lore throughout all three? But then the only part that's a little bit off and weird is the fact that uh, it's clearly not just specifically Native American lore if it's seen over in Chernobyl. Like it's something beyond that. But of course, it incorporates into Native American lore. I think I'm, I still lean towards, like you said, the dimensional thing. I don't think that there's any, when you're crossing the dimension, I don't think there's any sense of time on this side compared to that side. It can come over and it may be the 1800s here, or it may be the 2000s, or it may be the 3000s when it comes over. There's no differential. It's not able, it can cross regardless of time. See, That's my, my thoughts of it. See, it makes you wonder too if uh, this these creatures, if they're uh, like conscious of what they're doing, like they know that they're like forewarning people, or if it's kind of just one of those things that they're just uh, like around, like maybe they're, I don't know, something that theoretically will like take souls away or move them somewhere else. Uh, like I'm curious, if, like what if they have a purpose in it, and if they're like conscious of their purpose, or if it's just kind of one of those things where they're just like. You know, if there is a thinning of the veil, they just kind of walk through it and they're like, oh, well, I guess I'm here for now. And then they just get pulled back. <laughs> it, now, I don't know about most of them, but I will say it seems like from the stories that the Blackbird, it allow it wants to be seen. I mean, it, it shows itself in broad daylight. It shows itself where you can see that, you know, outlines of it or else. They don't try to hide it. It doesn't seem like it. Because it was clear visible on some of the pictures before the bridge went over. It was clear and visible to workers and family members when it was at Chernobyl. And that train accident where it was seen, if I'm not mistaken, the conductor actually seen and had wrote down in the log that he had seen this creature. I'm trying to remember. I can't. I got so many stories in my head. It's hard for me to keep everything straight. Because I'm writing another book that comes out in hopefully February or March called Monsters of the World. And in that book, I'm doing like 15 or so monsters from every continent. So there's seven continents and I'm giving you all kinds of, plus I'm giving you uh, encounters that people have sent me personally to put in the book. I've got three encounters in England. I've got one encounter in Australia, and I've got like six or eight encounters in America that people have sent me. I'm not changing any of the words. I'm just putting their encounter in the book to let people enjoy. I said, I definitely like to hear about some of these, um, at least some of the lesser known ones that uh, you'd be willing to share to kind of spark a little bit of interest and get people to uh, want to go and look out for your book. Well, and now half the ones in Africa, no offense, but I can't pronounce them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's why you write a book. You just got to put down the word. It doesn't mean you have to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah. Af Africa has some really cool ones. They've got giant snakes. They've got dinosaurs. Uh, I've got dragons in there from China. Then it, I have the history of them. I have uh, descriptions. I've got the Kappa in Japan. He's kind of a pervert. Yeah, I was going to say that one I've always found weird and fascinating. With He's very proper, and you have to try to get him to bow to spill the water on the top of his head for him to lose his power. But his whole intention is that he wants to pull 
your soul out of your butthole. <laughs> he likes to watch the, the young ladies uh, swim nude under the waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got the mixed lore with the cucumber that some believe that the cucumber keeps him away and others believe that it makes him come. So, you know, you got the mixed lore where some people eat a cucumber before they go swimming. Some will uh, keep a cucumber in their pocket so that they can throw it off if uh, a kappa comes towards them. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it, it's there's some this really cool ones. I, I I've got Dogman in there. I've got um old Shuck, Black Shuck up in uh, London or England, I should say. And uh, I actually have a report of that one. I have a guy who saw it. He kept calling it Dogman, but from his description, it looked like old Shuck with the black dog with red eyes, a giant. <laughs> is it bipedal and, uh, too? Because I, I hadn't actually heard of this one personally. No, Oshuck is like a supernatural uh, giant wolf, almost like a dire wolf type thing. It's solid black and got red eyes. And it, it stays in all fours. But uh, I've got, there's some really cool stories. And I want you guys to check that one out, especially. The people who were nice enough and generous enough to give me their encounters, they will all be listed in the book. And I have their exact words. I ain't changing nothing out of respect for them and what they want to tell. And you're going to find some good stories in there. You're going to have some real good ones about Bigfoot. One guy I talked to, Bigfoot come up to his tent at night. And he knows that because he heard it and he got up the next morning. There was an 18-inch print beside his uh, tent and it was about eight inches wide. <laughs> I can only imagine he, how horrifying it would be to be outside just a tent. Like you feel like you have some type of protection, like it's some kind of shelter, but realistically it's like a blanket with some sticks that's holding being held up. Like just imagine having something like that right outside of your tent, even if it's not necessarily something that's trying to hurt you. Just the whole concept of having anything that close outside of a tent is horrifying, especially because you can't go anywhere. <laughs> like there's one way out of that tent unless you cut a hole out of the back, but anything that's in the front of that tent can get right around the back just as quick. <laughs> and you're dealing with a creature that can pull a tree out of the ground by its roots, turn it upside down and stick it back in the ground. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you gotta worry about that a little bit. <laughs> you just gotta so, hope that it's not one of the uh, the young ones trying to show off. <laughs> hope they uh, tangle with one of the older guys that'll just leave you alone. <laughs> yep. Look at you go eh, and walk off. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that people will just enjoy the books. That's the reason I'm writing them. I want people to have a good time and just get all this crazy world off their mind for a little bit, short period of time. You know. Get some uh, some other craziness, but a good kind of craziness in your life. <laughs> I had one of the uh, I did another podcast interview, and the guy referred to my book. He said, "No offense, but you have a toilet book." I said, "What do you mean a toilet book?" He said, "It's great. You sit on the toilet. You got short stories to read." <laughs> Those are my reference books. <laughs> I can't argue argue with that one. <laughs> so, um, I guess a really good question is off of your new book. Uh, 
just to kind of get people again, kind of sparked a little bit of interest. If you had to pick one of your, your, your absolute personal favorite story, I guess in your old book and in your new book you're working on, cause I'd love to get two stories in here. Uh, wh- what is your personal favorite story in both? Oh, I don't know about the new one cause I'm not finished with it yet. So I can't tell you a great one out of the new book yet. I, I don't know all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I can tell you there is a Bigfoot type creature in every country. Uh, and he's very, he varies per country. Like yet he's smaller than Bigfoot is or Sasquatch and has a whole different attitude to him. He's a lot more aggressive for a little guy, little six, seven foot tall. <laughs> and then the, you got, Oh man, there's so many cool ones. Cause all these stories are awesome because they're, they're creatures that I have never, never really thought about. And then I started researching them. Like, uh, I started looked into the Banshee by my Irish and the Irish tales and stuff. I've actually got Loch Ness monster in there. I've got, um, I had to put leprechauns in. I couldn't help myself. And I even put that they're not monsters, but I went ahead and threw in, I uh, can't believe I'm doing this. I threw in the little guy, the little gnomes. I can't help it. I like gnomes, okay? <laughs> I was going to say, in all fairness, though, um, I feel like they would more so be in the same category as, like, little people um, rather yeah. than, like, leprechauns. Like, leprechauns are looked at a little bit more goofy because they have the gold, all that kind of stuff. But, like, realistically, gnomes and fairies and... Little people, I feel, all kind of exist in the same place. It's all kind of, you know, the fae, I guess you could say. And uh, at least just speaking from, like, uh, like ones that make the most sense to me, I feel like gnomes would definitely make sense because realistically they're, the, like, the, the fundamental engineer workers of nature. So, I mean, yep. every, every like, folklore kind of has some kind of reference to them. It's all just different names for the same stuff. But <laughs> I, feel, I feel like easily gnomes could be the same as little people or puckwedgies. Okay, I, I, I got you. I, I agree with that 100%. I really do. And I think it's some really cool, cool ones to tell you about. I, I will, I got a question for you. Do you believe in unicorns? See, that's a mixed bag on that one because it's a very practical to exist animal. So, that being said, I don't necessarily know if there's any that exists now, but I definitely see that there could have been times in history where something like that has existed. And especially if it was a horse that had some kind of, I mean, you got to think about how many times, uh, like we've hunted things into extinction just to get their horns. Like I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of horse that had some kind of fancy horn that people hunted into extinction thinking that had some type of magical property to it. And then that's where all the folklore comes in with it, of course. Well, there was a unicorn mentioned in the King James Version of the Bible, and then it was changed later on, but it was referred to as a donkey-like creature, a mule-like creature with a single horn. But there is, today, there is truly a unicorn creature out there. Now, I didn't say horse. I said creature. It's called a unicorn goat. They have a single horn that grows out the top of their head. Is it uh like a bone horn or is it like one of the uh the like hair horns where it's like you know the really thick coarse hair that almost becomes bone like? Now that I don't know, I, I believe, I believe it's horn, 
like instead of growing the uh, curled up horns like a ram, like a ram grows, mm-hmm. these things actually grow stay out of the center of their head, and they're mountain goat type creatures. Say, I uh, hadn't actually heard of that guy in that one before. That's definitely something I'm going to have to look into just to even get a, like a visual on it. It definitely sounds sounds interesting because the animal kingdom is I'll just as fascinating as cryptozoology. <laughs> I'll try to send you a picture if I can remember it when, I, when we get off here. <laughs> but uh, I, I always asked everybody that because it's so funny to look on people's faces when you ask them. Then you go, well, there is a unicorn. And they're looking at you like, You've lost your mind. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't say horse-like. <laughs> That's right. I did not. But uh, there, there's so many creatures out there that we don't know of and so many that we do. I mean, we talk about, I, I'll give you an example. Right here in Western North Carolina, in just two state parks that we have here, there is over a million square acres of nothing but woods. That's just in two of them. We've got, I think, four or five total. But uh, in just those two parks, that much area, and people think that we've been everywhere. Well, I can tell you right now, in most of that property, people haven't gone there, haven't gone to some of those spots because I know hunters that are still finding spots they've never been before. And they've been hunting 40 and 50 years. <laughs> is that uh, one of those places with cryptid mountain lions that, you know, they're there, but nobody wants to recognize that they're there? Yeah, it is. And that I know because we could sit at my grandmother's house when they were alive and I was little, and we could hear them up on the mountain. It's just like a woman screaming. It'll make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I've uh, seen a cougar unintentionally that wasn't supposed to be in the area, but I can only imagine like knowing <laughs> that there's a bunch of them out there in the dark. <laughs> At least I knew I was in a safe area seeing the couple that I, I've seen. There you go. One, but, uh, one particular time yeah. I was, uh, up on, I was at a hotel and I was up on the second story balcony and, uh, it was late at night and I looked down over the edge and I'm like, there's a big brown cat do- or a big tan cat down there. <laughs> like, it's a good thing I'm not on the first story. Otherwise I would have walked face to face with this guy. <laughs> Ooh, ooh. <laughs> it's funny uh i can't imagine i've never seen one i mean out in the wild up close i've seen them at the zoo and stuff but I've, i couldn't imagine running a big cat like that in the wild and it was one of those things too where it's just like you walk out of the back door and you're not really thinking about anything so <laughs> you would have been face to face like ah yeah let's go back <laughs> <laughs> oh lordy I mean, there's so many things out there people don't don't have a clue about. So we've kind of touched base on at least a little bit of paranormal, a little bit of uh, Native American lore, and a little bit of cryptids. Um, I definitely would like to uh, touch base on some of the stories that you've got pertaining to aliens and the Uf- and UFOs too, because um, that one's always a fun fun topic to talk about. Oh yeah, yeah. Now these two these two sightings right here are not in the book. These are my personal sightings. We were out in the middle of it. I was in the Navy. I was on FFG, which is a fast frigate guided missile ship. Not a big one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We were out in the the middle of the Atlantic Ocean going from here to uh, overseas. Say where, but anyway, we was going overseas. And uh, I was on half lookout. Seems to be where I'm always at. I don't know why. But uh, I was on half lookout, and the forward lookout calls back to me. What's that light on the port side? 
and they give me an idea where it's at. And he said about eight miles out because the horizon's 10 miles. So you can see it was just inside the pipe. So I pull up binoculars. I'm watching this thing. And I said, I ain't got to, I have no idea what this is. And it's, we were called into combat systems. They had nothing on radar, nothing on anything. And it looked like a conning tower for a submarine, except it was above the water. There was no water disturbance. And this thing is like, it's, you can see the lights really well. And it looked kind of like a round dish. And it's going back and forth. As we're moving, it's moving almost to keep pace with us, but still going back and forth, almost like it's doing a search pattern. So we're watching it. We watch it about five minutes, and all of a sudden it gets super bright, and all of a sudden it's gone. And the guy called back and said, I didn't see nothing. How about you? I said, I don't see nothing either. Bye. <laughs> that was about no to be my next question was what, uh, what they were saying it was after that. Or if it was just one of those, I saw nothing. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then the second one, me and my beautiful wife was flying back from Chicago. We're above the clouds. We're at 30,000 feet. I remember because that's what the pilot said was that. And my wife looks over and she says, what is that? Now look, and there is a silver tube, like a cigar. Just probably 15 miles from the airplane. We can see it. It's as clear as day. And there's no wings. There's no tail fin. It's just a big silver cigar in the air. (laughs) (laughs) And we're watching it. And she bends down to get her uh, phone so she can get a picture. And this thing lights up and it's gone. It just disappeared. So I don't know what it was. <laughs> it seems like the classic cigar shape, like you were saying. And uh, it's gotten to a point now where I feel like so many people have seen UFOs that it's it's an undeniable like fact of our reality at this point to the, like even to the point where like the U S governments are like, Oh yeah. So we know nothing about these. They don't exist. But if you guys see anything, uh, please let us know. <laughs> well now, now they're to the point where I said, okay, yes, there's UFOs, but don't worry about it. <laughs> Just tell we're us anything that you know and any videos that you have send it to us, but it's all good. We got it. <laughs> we're, we're watching them. It's like, yeah, well, we are too, apparently. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the best UFO tales in my book is probably the ones up around the Bridgewater Triangle. Ooh, yeah, it definitely there's, sparks a lot of interest up in Bridgewater Triangle. <laughs> uh, there's, some, there's some about um, Mount Rainier, because there's been lots and lots and lots of sightings about Mount Rainier. I'm trying to think where the other ones were. But I actually uh, went and investigated and wrote down some of the sightings of the UFOs in my book. Did you uh, end up uh, getting any stories or collecting any stories of uh, actual, like, like alien, like physical aliens themselves by chance? Not yet. Uh, A friend of mine told me that I need to do an entire book just of encounters. Oh, yeah, easily. You could easily do an abduction book, even just off of, like, one person's abduction experiences. More often than not, they seem to happen a couple times through life. You can make a full book out of some just one particular person's experiences. 
well, I've got a friend that I've been talking to about since I've been doing the research. He actually did an interview with me. I won't mention his name. He's a great guy. Fantastic. And he's had, I mean, countless encounters. They come into his house <laughs> with reptilians <laughs> and grays. I mean, he's had all these reports, all these things happen to him. <laughs> and I don't doubt him because he has so much passion in his voice when he's talking about it. It's almost like you're there with him. He can describe every single detail about them. Are you uh, planning on adding some of his stories into uh, some of your upcoming books? If he, if he allows me to, I will, yes. So that would definitely be a really cool one to read about. I always, I, I, It fascinates me more than anything when it comes to UFOs in particular for people to have abduction stories and for people to have like contact with them because more often than not, you hear about them having these like conversations with them and they'll give pieces of information that are just, they don't seem like they make sense at the time. Then all of a sudden everything starts to like make sense. And when it comes to those stories, that's always like my standing point on them is like, how do people know these things before they happen? Or how do they get these little like snippets on the future and what's going to happen? Um, maybe yeah. it could potentially be something in your head, but it's still at that point would be some type of psychic ability still, you know, like there's, there's still some kind of like otherworldly connection when it comes to all that kind of stuff. The information got there somehow. Exactly. <laughs> be it through little green men or be it through a projection of little green men, it still got there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, I, that's one thing I do want to see. I do want to see an alien. I do want to see Bigfoot. And I will, before it's over with, <laughs> I will see both. If I have to hunt them down, I will see both of them up close and personal. People may not believe me, but at least I'll know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see when I prove Bigfoot's existence that I was right. <laughs> I'll, have, I'll have Bigfoot's, my theory of what Bigfoot is in my book. Now, I don't know if a lot of people agree with me, but everything that I read seems to match up with what he is. And I think they're the descendants of the giants. That's definitely a theory that I've always entertained. Uh, that one, and that they're—I don't want to say like a like a missing link, but like a, like another like offshoot of like 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 we may be related somewhere down the line, but there's some type of like diverging factor, right? But well, I mean, you know, still, I, I guess kind of fit with giants too, because uh, the, the giants would have had that diverging factor of you know, the giant gene, whatever it happened to be. And uh, if they were mixing with, let's see, giants and something that maybe has, like, less hair, like, starting to, like, I don't know, I, I guess you you kind of get the, the genes all mixed in there and potentially, like, half of what a Bigfoot's DNA could be the same as a giant's DNA. Yeah. Well, see, the reason I lean towards the giants and most of the Native American or the Indian tales they talk about when they come over the land bridge from a, from uh, Asia. When they come over the land bridge, they ran into the wide-eyed giants here in America. The Choctaw and everybody talks a lot about it. And they were afraid of them because they were cannibals. And when they attacked them, they talked about how they killed off the giants. I don't think they killed them all off. I think that they, some of them escaped. And they escaped into like the mammoth cave system, which is the largest cave system in the world that we know of. 
And if they go into the mountain, if they go into that, like I believe, then they could have evolved or de-evolved, I guess you could say, into what Bigfoot is now. Because everyone who talks about seeing Bigfoot out, out in person or through a scope talks about they can't pull the trigger because his eyes are human. That would definitely explain the evasiveness, too, because if they got hunted into extinction because of their views and beliefs, uh, that would totally make sense on how they're thinking from almost like a human standpoint to know to avoid humans. Yep. And out like at the Lovelock Caves, they found the giant bones and they found the shoes, the sandals and stuff that some of the giants had wore. Well, they took a casting from Bigfoot and it fit perfect into the sandal. Like it was made for it. See, I often wonder if what we're looking at is the giant sloths, Sasquatch, and giants. All three of those may possibly be the same things. And if you're looking at remnants of their skeletons, they could all essentially look the same too. And just another perspective of looking at it too, there's different races of people. Those could all be different races of essentially giant human-like beings. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. And they all... could have adapted for different reasons, of course, too. Well, through every every religious text, every uh, everything that goes back in that period of time, all mention giants. All the texts, all the the biblical properties, you know, even the Bible, the Quran, the uh, what is it called, um, mysticism, Jewish mysticism book. Uh, you got it goes into the Hindus. It goes into the uh, the Muslims talk about the giants. All of them talk about the giants at one time or another. And it's really prevalent in Enoch. I was going to say, and it's super taboo in the United States because it's uh, Smithsonian trying to hide all of the giant skeletons. But you go down to South America, and from what I've heard, you can go to museums and there's giant skeletons everywhere. Oh, yeah. They also have mutant skeletons. They don't have, they've got a skeleton I was reading about earlier that actually has bones growing out of its head. It's a human face with bones growing out of the skull. It makes you wonder if it's a mutation or if it's a totally different species or if it's another possible like half mixed breed that wasn't like fully finished. Because when it comes to a lot of this stuff, I feel like there was definitely some type of uh, interjection to how the DNA worked out. Because I don't think it would have naturally like worked the way that it did in the periods of time that it did work out the way it did, of course, too. Oh, yeah. Well, you've got. Our, our history has been so diluted and so changed and everything else. We went to see the Ark Encounter. Now, at the Ark Encounter, they talk about the re- one of the reasons God brought the flood was because of the giants. They were the Nephilim. They were the children of the fallen angels. And that's one reason that the flood was brought to the world was to help get rid of the Nephilim. And then, uh, of course, there still would have been some type of remnants, of, um, assumably. And then if they would have uh, continued on with uh, their DNA, it could almost like hide the DNA into smaller variations where, you know, yeah. we could be thinking of like biblical giants being like this height, but there could still be a descendant of a giant that may only be like six, seven foot high. Um, but just because of DNA, it trying to hide its DNA, possibly mixing with uh, other breeds of or other types of humanoid beings in order to keep its DNA alive. Like who knows what could have happened down the line. We're honestly just guessing, but there's definitely enough solid evidence that I feel like it's not even like a question on whether or not giants existed. Like they did definitely exist at some point. Well, they exist today. I mean, the definition of a giant 
is seven foot or taller human. And you've got NBA players that are over seven foot tall. You had Andre the Giant. The tallest man in the world right now is nine foot something. Have you uh, d- dug into the story about the uh, the soldiers in Afghanistan finding the giant in the mountains? I did. It's in the book. No, it's in the movie book. I say that's definitely one that fascinates me, and it's like I don't. Know, I I really really wish that there was some type of not just the the like worded stories, but some type of photographic evidence or some kind of like audio recording, like something to go with it. Cause it's like one of those tales that it's like, you want to believe it, but there's just so much up in the air about it. But at the same time though, if you do believe in the whole giant concept, it definitely makes sense that in the middle of Afghanistan, there would be a giant hiding and coming after people with a spear. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong too, but I believe that they said it was like a 15 foot tall giant. Had six hands, six fingers, and six toes. Yep. Yep. Uh, red hair, fiery eyes, uh, big teeth. Uh, and they, I mean, the one I heard tell about it was supposed to be one of the guys who was actually there. He was telling the story. The one that I heard. Now, I don't know if the guy was really there or not. I can't prove he was. I can't prove he wasn't. So, you know, but I, 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 I can't help but believe it. I mean, you've got places in Afghanistan that the the natives there won't go. And they'll tell you, no, we ain't going there because it's taboo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was one of those places that they went that was supposed to be the, the Afghans and stuff avoided it like the plague. <laughs> hey, I bet you they're there now. <laughs> now that they know that it's safe and clear. <laughs> They're probably using that cave, but uh, <laughs> there's just there's so many things out there. I think you have to be naive not to believe in some of the stuff. Maybe not all of, them. but when you look at, I mean, they find almost a million new species every year that is not supposed to exist. The guy that found the last there's this elephant that was really rare, and everybody said it didn't exist. Well, this scientist was down there in Africa looking for it. He had looked all over Africa. He looked in all the plains. He looked everywhere trying to find this elephant. And so he was in there talking to the chieftain of one of the tribes. And he mentioned it and it walked behind him. <laughs> the chieftain looked at him and pointed at it. Yeah, there they are. <laughs> and there it was. There was a whole herd of them walked right behind him. And he had been searching all over Africa trying to find this thing makes you wonder, too, how many species are... Because as the chain of life goes along, there's species that'll come to be, and then there's some that die out, and then there's new ones that come to be. It makes you wonder how many species that are just now coming to be that uh, we, again, still haven't discovered yet because they're just in the starting stages of developing to become whatever species they're going to become. Yeah. and you, Well, yeah, I agree. And you've got a good example of that is the Tasmanian tiger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was supposed to have been completely wiped out. And there's, uh, there was a zoologist down there, and he went to check one of his cams and had a video of the Tasmanian tiger walking by it. That's kind of like a, it falls by kind of like the mountain lion concept in the United States that they don't want to acknowledge uh, that these species exist in these areas for one. Uh, because then they have to, it, it's a whole thing with paperwork. You gotta, you gotta go and you gotta, <laughs> you know, make sure that they're there for sure. Um, on top of the fact that 
a lot of these things are evasive species in the aspect of like they're taking out farm life. So I right. feel like they'd rather be like, yeah, those don't exist, and then they can shoot them and get rid of them if they're going to take out any of their uh, their livestock. <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right. <laughs> but as soon as you acknowledge that there's extinct animals living in that area, then yeah, no, they, they can take out as much of your livestock as you want. You can't do shit about it. <laughs> yep, you're exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess starting to get towards the end here now, um, I always like to leave with uh, words of wisdom before we get into, you know, where everybody can find you and stuff at. So uh, if there's any words of wisdom you could bestow on the listeners, what might it be? Well, I think my main thing is just what I tell my kids and everything too, is don't be closed off to different creatures. Uh, there's a lot out there we don't know of. There's a lot of un- unknown area in the world still, even though there's too many people here. There are so many areas and there are so many things that are keep your mind open and go find it. Go check these things out. Go enjoy time with your family looking for ghosts, looking for Bigfoot, looking for Dogman. Just go out and enjoy your area, enjoy, enjoy your town, and keep your mind open to what could be out there. It's always much funner what could be than what it really is truth <clears throat> i was gonna say and at the root humans are explorers so let yourself go and explore oh i like that that's good i might <laughs> <use> that. <laughs> gotta add on to a little little extra touch <laughs> I'll, I'll throw your name in there with it but i'll still do it yeah. <laughs> so uh for anybody that's enjoyed the conversation and they definitely want to go and check out your books uh, where can they come and find you and where can they find your books at and also just a little additive part uh, if there's anybody that would like to share some stories with you where might they be able to do that at also they can get me at uh facebook i'm on facebook i have three different pages on facebook uh, you can get me on Instagram, MeWe, Tumblr, or you can just go to my website, uh, George, author George Lunsford.x10host.com. And uh, my book, you can get on Amazon. <laughs> Quick and easy. And uh, of course, I'll include all of the links too. So if anybody wants to go and check anything out, it'll be just one click away. Make it quick and easy for you. And I appreciate that very much. It's been a great talking to you. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, same here. And I uh, can't wait to have our next interaction and have our next conversation because I definitely would love to have you come back on and we can talk about your next book when you get a little bit more, a uh, little bit more rolling with it. Yeah, let me get a little bit more into it. I, I've been kind of slacking. I've got to take some days off work so I can actually get the book finished. <laughs> <laughs> I know that one all too well. It's like there's not enough time in the day to do what you want to do, but you still got to do your normal life stuff. So it's like you just you got to force yourself to make some time. But, yeah, I know that battle all too well. <laughs> <laughs> I truly understand. And I greatly appreciate it very, very much, and I hope people will reach out. Uh, I hope I'm open enough and uh, fun enough to uh, make you want to reach out talk to me about this stuff. So you're definitely an inviting character. That's uh, how I ended up actually contacting you was a shout out to uh, Bo from the Bump Podcast. I heard your guys' great conversation, and uh, you seem like a really entertaining guy to talk to. So that's why I ended up uh, making this happen. So <laughs> I'm sure that the yeah. listeners will feel the same. I hope so. I, I really do. <laughs> 
If anybody would like to be a guest on the show, if anybody is interested in sponsoring the show, if anybody has a topic that they would like discussed on the show or guests that they would like to see on the show, or in general, if you feel you can contribute anything to the show at all, even a great conversation that will spark weird little fascinations in my head that I will look for new topics to go on to. Anything at all. Just uh, stop by, have a conversation. Uh, I definitely want to hear from all you guys in any way, shape, or form. I want your guys' opinions on everything, of course, too. Um, you can go and message me on Instagram. That'd probably be the fastest way to get a hold of me. You can also email me uh, under the Inquiries of Our Reality Podcast email, which is Inquiries of Our Reality Podcast at Outlook.com. And uh, if you want to make it a little bit easier on yourself, you can go to the link tree and up at the top, there is a submission form. And there you can type whatever you want to say and uh, send it over to me and it'll go directly to my email. And then you'll just have to look out for uh, for my emails. And unfortunately, a lot of mine go to the spam folder. So definitely keep an eye on the spam folder if you have messaged me recently or if you messaged me a couple months ago and you don't think I got back to you, go and check your spam folder because for whatever reason, my stuff seems to go there. But uh yeah, everything that I've mentioned, all available under one link tree. Uh, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Increase of Our Reality Podcast. And uh, if you're trying to check out the full umbrella of everything that I do over at Open Minds Media, that one is L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash open underscore minds underscore media. And with that, I hope you guys enjoyed the show and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.